uh, from this pancreatitis that he's suffered with so much for, for almost three months, Lord. Just pray that he would be recovered and his strength would return. Lord, we thank you for the way that you were at work at camp. These students that have accepted you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, may we surround them now as a church and as a youth ministry. And wherever these kids are from, because it sounds like they're from a different church, I pray that they would be surrounded and that they would be discipled and would grow in you. It is our desire that the students that we interact with would become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. May it be so. Lord, I'm thankful for Pastor Mike and Sarah and for for Eric and the many counselors that went to junior camp and senior camp. Lord, it is such a sacrifice. It is difficult. It's not a vacation. It is difficult to be a counselor at camp, too. The energy that is required is high to be a counselor at camp. And I know that, um, that Pastor Mike and, and, and the others are, are tired. They're tired. Lord, rejuvenate them. May they, may they reconnect with you and may their, their energy level increase again. Lord, we're thankful for the ways that you have been at work. We're thankful for wedding anniversaries. 50 years, Lord. We give you praise, and I know that, that uh, Eric and Sam and, and uh, Dave and Shirley give you praise for all of the years of their marriage. Lord, we think about the fires that are going on in Oregon and, and the, the response that needs to happen and, and the smoke that we've dealt with because of that and, and people's lungs, and there's just so much, Lord, going on. We think about the floods that have been happening around the world in Germany and, and uh, Lord, China. There's just a lot going on right now. We think about the Olympics, and I pray that the, the athletes that know you would spread your good news in that place. Thank you, Lord, for Greg and Heather Rambo and for just the miracle that they have spoken. God, we love you. We pray that you would strengthen us. We pray, Lord, that you would be leading this church, leading us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Churchy words. So like I, I said to you last week, I didn't expect the churchy words thing to become a sermon series. Turns out there's a lot of churchy words. So I think we need to talk about some of this. We've been through a few churchy words already. The word fellowship, koinonia in Greek, what we have in common. The churchy word worship, that we sometimes view worship as what we get out of it when that's completely backwards. Worship is about what we bring to God. And then for the last two weeks, we've been talking about the churchy word righteousness. And I've reminded you that the word righteousness also means justice. And that personal righteousness is always accompanied by social righteousness, justice. They go together. Holiness and justice, they go together. They're the same word. And in this series, I've been defining churchy 
the, word, the churchy word, as a word that is used inside the church by people, and that word has a special meaning that only church people know. I have said that this can be dangerous because it creates an us and a them, and it, it promotes division and makes it difficult for, for the outsiders to feel welcome. Moreover, sometimes churchy words, they take on meanings that aren't even biblical. And yet in the church, they have, they have a meaning that people assume, but that meaning that they assume isn't even a biblical meaning. The language that followers of Christ use should be biblical, clear, and it should not differentiate between outsiders and insiders. The churchy word that we're going to look at today, it's none of those things as we currently use it oftentimes. I hope to change that. Lord, as we open your word today, it is with expectation that we want to hear from you. Please help us to interpret your word. You gave us this word, and now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us understand it and digest it, and may it change us. Amen. The churchy word for today is forgiveness. Three years ago, I preached a sermon on forgiveness in a sermon series entitled the One Another Sermon Series. Do you remember that, some of you? We talked about all of the one another's, well, almost all of the one another's in the New Testament. That was actually, if you can believe it, three years ago. I, I, I was thinking to myself as I felt the Lord saying, the churchy word you need to preach on is forgiveness. And I, I almost had a conversation like out loud with God where I said, yeah, but I just preached on forgiveness. And then God was like, why don't you look that up? And it was three years ago. I was like, three years ago? How could that be three years ago? I couldn't believe it. And then, then just by happenstance, somebody came into my office and we got to talking about forgiveness. And this is a person who I would expect would have been at that sermon series three years ago. And they had no idea what I was talking about. And I thought to myself, okay, God, we'll go back into this again. So here we are again. Forgiveness. Now, the one another sermon series that I preached on three years ago, this isn't just a carbon copy of that sermon, so I do recommend if, if something I say here uh, piques your interest, I, I would suggest go onto our website. That sermon is an audio file that you can find uh, on our website from 2018. It's from July 29th of 2018, and it's from the one another series. You can go look that up. But in that series, I, I, in that sermon, the, the one another forgiveness sermon, I quoted two passages of scriptures, and I want to start with looking at them today. The first is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And you'll see it on the screen, but you can look in your Bibles too. It says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And then Colossians 3.13, very similar. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Hmm. We're going to leave that one on the screen. You can just kind of look at that as I talk for a little bit here. Some of my message today will be a refresher from that sermon in 2018. And so I, I once again recommend, again, go back and listen to that. There's good stuff there. But why are we, are we talking about forgiveness today as a churchy word? 
Why do I think that forgiveness is a churchy word? Well, in the church, I think that we sometimes throw around the word forgiveness like it's just obvious what it means. When many Christians use forgiveness as a churchy word, they oftentimes mean a couple of things about forgiveness that are not actually correct. So I'm going to talk about just two of these things, that when these things that Christians, when they use the word forgiveness, they think that it means these two things, but I don't think it's correct. The first is forgive and forget. When people use the word forgiveness in a churchy way, they mean we're supposed to forgive and forget. And the second one is kind of a phrase. The phrase is, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Have you heard that? Have you heard that in a sermon? Because I have heard, I have heard pastors preach on forgiveness and actually use that phrase. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I've heard that phrase, and I'm going to suggest to you this morning, it's wrong. Now, I'm going to use some of my time today explaining why these two seemingly nice little phrases are not biblical. And then I'm going to help us understand forgiveness biblically and without the churchiness. That's my goal today. But as you can probably imagine, forgiveness is a bit of a complex subject. So I'm going to do my best. Now, before I talk about these two phrases... I want to make sure of one thing before I start, okay? So please hear this before I start. Forgiveness is not optional for followers of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is not optional for followers of Jesus Christ. See that verse? We are called to respond to the forgiveness that Christ has shown us by forgiving others. So do not misconstrue anything I say from this point on as if to suggest forgiveness is optional. I do not think forgiveness is optional. We just need to know what it is. Okay? So, let's look at these churchy phrases, and we're going to start with the first one I said. Forgive and forget. Why is this not biblical? Look again at the verse on the screen there. How are we supposed to forgive? Anybody? How are we supposed to forgive? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ah. But that begs the question, doesn't it? How did Jesus forgive you? Ah. The phrase forgive and forget implies that we are supposed to forgive everyone and then forget what they did. So here's my question. Is this how Jesus forgave you? When Jesus forgave you, did he forget? Because if forgive and forget is what we're supposed to do as Christians, and we know that what we're supposed to do is forgive as the Lord forgave you, then that would imply that the Lord forgave you and forgot. Is that what the Lord does? Oh, but Pastor Jason, there's a psalm somewhere. What's that psalm? Oh, 
Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Dave, did you get that one? Psalm, it should be on the... Dave, there it is. Okay, so there's Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Doesn't that mean that God forgave and forgot our sin? Is that what that means? You could read this verse and think that, well, God must forget our sin after he forgives us. But just think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. And you'll realize that God doesn't forget our sin. Consider the sin of David and Bathsheba just as an example. It's recorded in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11. You can read the story. Well, according to the phrase, forgive and forget, then that would have to mean that God has forgotten 2 Samuel, chapter 11. Did God forget 2 Samuel, chapter 11? Has, has, if you ask God, if you, when Jesus was on earth, if you said, Jesus, could you quote for me 2 Samuel, chapter 11? Did Jesus say, I can't remember that one? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Just let that sink in for a second. Of course God hasn't forgot it because God can read. Everybody got that? And yet somehow we've just bought into this idea that forgive and forget is what we're supposed to do. False assumption. Not biblical. So when we look at Psalm 103.12... It's not that God has forgotten our sin. It is that he no longer holds that sin against us. He has removed the penalty that our transgression deserves. In fact, now think about this. To truly grasp the weight of God's grace is to realize that he does remember our sin. Because he remembers everything, does he not? That whole, you know, omniscient thing. He knows everything, right? So, do you understand that if we say God has forgotten our sin, we've actually cheapened His grace? The very fact that He remembers our sin shows you how powerful grace is. Think about that. He does remember our sin. That's why His grace is so profound. He has removed the transgression. He has removed the penalty that our transgression deserves. He has not forgotten. Everybody got that? Forgive and forget is not biblical. The Lord has not forgotten our sin. He will forgive our sin, but He will not somehow magically forget our sin. The phrase forgive and forget is not biblical. Well, I don't know if I burst your bubble there, <laughs> but now let's burst the second one as long as we're having fun. So, the second phrase I want to disprove is, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. My guess what might be, and I, I don't mean to pick on you, but if, if I were to ask you if that was in the Bible, or if I were to ask a group of Christians anywhere, is that in the Bible, I think a lot of people, maybe even more than half of Christians, would say, yeah, that's in the Bible. I think, I think, I have seen this. Some of you are like, no. 
But I think that a lot of people do think that that's in the Bible. I like the phrase. I think it sounds good. In fact, it does sound like a proverb, kind of. It sounds like something we should live by, doesn't it? I mean, I agree with the sentiment behind the phrase that we're not supposed to hold a grudge. I agree with that strongly. But who actually said that phrase? Anybody? Well, just like you're about to do, I looked at Google. It's Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela said that phrase. It's a quotation from him. So it's like not even that old of a phrase. And yet I've, I've heard preachers preach this phrase like it was gospel truth. False! It matters that your pastors are in Scripture or not. It matters that your pastors are basing what they're saying to you on the Word of God or on a popular phrase in culture. Now, I like Nelson Mandela. I, I, I quote Nelson Mandela. Uh, one of my favorite Nelson Mandela phrases is like a motto that I really enjoy. I, it, it's, Mike, you know what the Nelson Mandela phrase is. Yes, it's my you-know-or quote. I never lose. I either win or learn. That's good. I like Nelson Mandela. But you know what Nelson Mandela is not? He's not a a writer of the inspired word of God. Did you you get that? Uh, However good Nelson Mandela might be to give us good wisdom and helpful things to live life, I do not listen to Nelson Mandela as if he's inspired by God in God's holy word. That's just this. Just this is what I base my life on, right? Right? And so as good as a phrase like that might be, it's not something that I base the way I live my life as a follower of Christ on. The Bible is the only source that we follow that is inspired by God. Now, the problem is, this quotation by Nelson Mandela has kind of become a part of of the definition in the church that we use for forgiveness. It's become part of the churchy word that is forgiveness. And it sounds like a really good phrase, doesn't it? I mean, you might be wondering, why am I preaching against it? Well, let's look at the phrase more closely, and I hope it will become apparent to you. What does this phrase actually imply? Remember, the phrase is, you guys have heard it before, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It implies that forgiveness is something that happens inside you. False. Forgiveness is not something that happens inside you. You see, poison, when Nelson Mandela says that, he's saying the poison's inside you. Is that true? Is it biblical that forgiveness is something that happens inside you? If forgiveness... Oh, I I wish I could take a picture right now and, and show you your faces. And I knew that this was going to be a hard concept to understand. So let me show you. I'm going to mirror back to you what you are giving to me right now. You're you're going like this. You're going. 
where are you going with this, you crazy person? Because you're speaking against everything I thought I knew about forgiveness. And you're saying it's churchy? Well, I'm getting just a little bit offended right now. Okay, anyways, that's what you guys are giving me. And I love it because the light bulb's about to go off. I love the light bulb moment. This is about to happen, okay? If forgiveness is inside you, then it follows logically that the solution to the poison that's inside you is also inside you. In other words, the cure is inside you. So if if unforgiveness is the poison, then the cure is inside you. In other words, to forgive is to get the poison out. That's what that phrase implies. I need to get the poison out. This means that forgiveness can be accomplished all by yourself. False. The solution to unforgiveness, the poison, is to forgive, and forgiveness can happen simply by choosing to forgive. That's what we have been led to believe by this churchy definition of forgiveness. Did you hear that? We just think we can just choose to to forgive somebody, and then it's all in here, and I can just do this by myself, and it's, it's all good, and I just get the poison out. Isn't that great? And then you can feel better. Oh, I can feel so good. I can just forgive everybody and I can just feel good all the time. Woo! Sounds good. But is it right? Is it biblical? Is that how the Lord forgave you? Does God have a poison inside himself? that he can get rid of just by choosing to forgive us? (laughs) Light bulb. Light bulb. When I put it like that, it doesn't sound quite as wise, does it? Because it's absurd. God does not have a poison inside himself that he can just choose to forgive. And then it's all good. He's not holding a poison inside himself that he has has to choose to get rid of. Uh Uh-oh. We're using forgiveness as a churchy word when we do it that way, aren't we? 2 Peter 3, verse 9 is a very important piece of Scripture. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That verse is a very important verse because that verse says what God wants is that everyone would be forgiven. Am I reading that wrong? That's what God wants. So if if someone comes up to you and says, well, God only chooses some people to go to heaven and he chooses other people to go to hell, okay? Go, well, how, do, how does 2 Peter 3, 9 fit with that? Because if that's true, then that's false, right? Because the way I'm looking at it, God wants everyone to be forgiven. God wants everyone to get reconciled with himself. God wants everyone to go to heaven. So let me ask you, does everyone go to heaven? Oh, 
What does that mean? Uh-oh. If it were true that, that unforgiveness is like a poison that God can just choose to let go of, then according to that verse, that's exactly what he would do. Isn't it? Uh-oh. I'm poking holes in your little churchy word. Why doesn't God just choose to forgive everybody if that's all forgiveness is? Because that's not what forgiveness is. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And if He could just choose, you're saying God can't do something. Yeah. Because for Him to do that would go against His nature. What God cannot do is go against His nature. For God to choose to forgive people just inside himself, goes against his nature. Do you understand that? If it didn't, he would do it. So the answer, I think, should be fairly obvious. God cannot forgive us without our involvement. That's the answer. Notice the word at the end of the verse. Repentance. Another churchy word, by the way. I'm not going to preach on that churchy word because every time I use the word repentance, I give you the definition of it because it's so misunderstood. Every time I say the word repentance in a sermon, what do I do? Repentance is turning the other direction and going the other direction. I do that same little song and dance every time I use the word repentance. Repentance means to turn around. It means you're going this way and you turn and go the opposite way. That's what repentance is. Forgiveness doesn't happen without it. Forgiveness doesn't happen without it. If it did, God would forgive us without our involvement. Forgiveness requires action from the person who committed the wrong. Forgiveness is not just something that happens inside the person who has been wronged. That was important. I'm going to say it again. Forgiveness requires action from the person who has committed the wrong. Forgiveness is not just something that happens inside the person who has been wronged. Even though that doesn't match with Nelson Mandela's quote. Let me remind you of Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did the Lord forgive you? With your involvement through repentance. That's how. That's how. Remember, we're supposed to forgive as He forgave us. That's how He forgave us. With our involvement in repentance. That's how forgiveness works. And I'm talking about biblical forgiveness, not churchy word forgiveness. 
You are getting uncomfortable. As you should. Squirming a little bit in your seats. This goes against what I've always been taught. Yep. What you've been taught about this word is probably wrong. Because it's not biblical. The Lord forgives us when we take action to seek forgiveness and we repent. That's how. You know what's weird? You already knew that. You just never put the two together. That's what's weird. Now, again, think this all the way through. If God could do this, everyone, if God could do this within himself, everyone would go to heaven. That's the whole point I'm making here, right? If we believe that forgiveness is just something that happens inside us, something that we simply choose to do, then this implies that we're supposed to for that we are supposed let me let me this is important, so I want to get it right. If we believe that forgiveness is just something that happens inside us, something that we simply choose to do, that implies we are supposed to forgive everyone even if they didn't ask for it. Even if they didn't take action to repent. And you know that that's churchy because the right thing to do in the church is to forgive people even if they haven't sought forgiveness. That is what we have been told for most of our life is what we're supposed to do. And it's wrong because it's not biblical. Biblical forgiveness requires interaction between two people. The person who has offended and the person who has been offended against. It can't happen with just one. It can't, biblically, and it does not with God. So why have you been taught the way that I'm teaching against? Because what we should have been saying the whole time is, it's never okay for a Christian to hold a grudge. That's what we should have been saying. But we've, in, we've decided to use the wrong words and say, you have to forgive everybody, no matter what. Regardless of whether they've sought biblical forgiveness and repentance. Okay? You see how we've got the words mixed up? And then we've begun to use the word forgiveness in a churchy way that is not the way the Bible teaches it. So, I want to go to practical application now. There are really only two sides to the forgiveness question. I want to very briefly talk about both sides. This is not rock and science. Side one, when you have hurt someone else. Side two, when someone else has hurt you. Those are the two sides of forgiveness. I want to talk about both of those sides. Side one, when you have hurt someone else, what are you supposed to do as a follower of Christ? What is the biblical thing to do? Well, lucky for us, Jesus has told us what we're supposed to do. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. Followers of Christ, this is what you're supposed to do if you have hurt someone. You're supposed to go to them. First, 
Go. If you have caused someone else pain, if you have hurt them, you're supposed to go to them and seek forgiveness. Okay, so you got that? That's it. Supposed to go. You're supposed to seek reconciliation. Oh, there's a fancy word. Reconciliation is a fancy word, but it just means getting right with someone else. You're supposed to go and try to get right with them. Now notice, the risky part is they might not say yes. See that? That's scary. We don't like that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to put ourselves out there and say, okay, I admit it, I did something wrong, and I hurt you, and I'm sorry. I, 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 I want to, I'm seeking forgiveness. The scariest thing ever is for them to say, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. And I'm not going to forgive you. That's the scary thing. But I want you to note, as a follower of Christ, what you are supposed to do in this circumstance is go. That's the biblical thing to do. Go. And it's, it's really cool here because if you're offering your gift at the altar, do you know what that is? That's worship. If you're sitting here today looking very nice in your Sunday clothes, listening to this sermon about forgiveness, and you have hurt someone and have not sought reconciliation, get your butt out of this chair. You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be there, seeking reconciliation. That's the word of the Lord to you from the mouth of Jesus Christ, God who is man. Everybody got that? It's really not that tricky. Why do we make this so tricky? Because we're scared of the risk of rejection, aren't we? Seek out forgiveness from the person you have wronged. And you're supposed to do that, and you're not supposed to come to church worship service until it's done. I can't figure out why I'm having trouble connecting with God when I come to a church worship service. It's probably that. Because you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be there. And you might get rejected, but you're supposed to try. That's the word from the Lord. Okay, side number two. Side number two. What about, as a follower of Christ, when someone has hurt you, what are you supposed to do? Well, lucky for us, Jesus had something to say about that too. Also in the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. <laughs> what are you supposed to do as a follower of Christ if someone has hurt you? Go! It's the same command! It's the same! It's the same! Whether you've done the hurting or you've received the hurting, the biblical answer is the same! Go! Seek reconciliation. 
You see, the churchy word that we use that is forgiveness is impossibly far away from what the biblical word is. Impossibly far. I'm just supposed to do forgiveness in the quietness of my heart. That's what I'm supposed to do because I need to get this poison out. That's the right thing to do. That's the churchy thing to do. False. False. That was better. That was more godlike there. You're supposed to go and seek forgiveness. And forgiveness means you're supposed to be seeking the reconciliation of the relationship. Oh, that's the other part we don't like. Because we don't like the risk part. When, like when, we're, when we've hurt somebody, we don't want to risk ourselves and they might reject our forgiveness. But on the other side, when we're the ones that have been hurt, you know what we don't like? We don't like the part that says we're supposed to reconcile the relationship. <laughs> you know how much easier it is to say, in the quietness of my heart, I've forgiven them, okay? And then not repair the relationship. <laughs> because repairing the relationship is hard. Because they hurt you. And so you say, in the quietness of my heart, I want to, I forgive them. But when you see them on the street, you walk by. You don't invite them to your stuff. Right? But you've forgiven them because you let go of that poison. Right? That poison's not got any part of me. Right? But when you see them, you do that thing where you catch their eye and you turn your eyes like this right away. As if you didn't see them. Oh yeah, you totally do that. You do that in Walmart. You're walking to Walmart and there's, you're looking down the aisle and like you need to go get your Wheaties and you go by, this, by the aisle and there you see that person that you have forgiven. Right? I got that poison out of my heart. But when you walk down that cereal aisle, wait, you don't walk down the cereal aisle because you see them and you go like this and you act like you have to go get milk. And then you'll swing back around to get your Wheaties after they've had a nice chance to leave the aisle. Don't act like you don't do that, because you do. Because we have bought into a false definition of the word forgiveness. Forgiveness means you seek reconciliation of the relationship that has been harmed. Now, some of you have been hurt bad by some stuff. And you're listening to this and saying, this is impossible. To which I say, how has the Lord forgiven you? And the answer is, it's impossible. Because the Lord knows exactly what I've done. He has not forgotten my sin. He knows exactly, precisely, exactly what you have done and has chosen to, to offer you forgiveness. And when you have come to him and repented of your sin, he has accepted your ask. And he has removed the penalty that your sin desires. And he has moved to you to restore the relationship. And even greater than that, he himself came to us to do it. God is the example of how to do this. 
He left heaven and came to us to offer us the chance at forgiveness. And people reject him every day. How much does that hurt God? Do you see when we talk about the Lord forgiving us and we are to extend that kind of forgiveness, it's impossible and incredible and only could be done because God gives us the strength to do it. That's forgiveness. It's not this little thing inside you. It's not a poison you got to get out. It's something that can change the world. Stop with the churchy definition of forgiveness. Start with the biblical definition of forgiveness and watch your life transform. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you have any idea what good news that is? Have I done my job as an expositor of God's word, to help you understand how incredible, how unimaginable God's love is for you. To remember everything you've ever done so perfectly and to still forgive you when you ask. And then the incredibleness of saying, and now that's how we are to forgive. This is so incredible. This is This is such a churchy word, the way we've used this word. And I'm done with it that way. I am done with it that way. It's not right. I'm out of time. There's a lot more that needs to be said about forgiveness because you're going to be left with lots of questions. Well, what if if I go to that person and and I, I ask for forgiveness and they don't grant it? What do I do? Or how about this question? What if someone has hurt me, but they don't come to me for forgiveness? Or I go to them and I point out to them how they've hurt me, and they still don't say they're sorry. What do I do with that? Or what do I do with someone who has hurt me, and they have died? And I don't have a chance to reconcile. What do I do with all of that? Of course, forgiveness is complicated. Obviously, it's going to be more than I can do in a 30-minute sermon, right? There are answers To all of those questions, because God has already gone before us in all of these things. Has he not? I can't go through all of them now. Go back and listen to that sermon in 2018. Some of those questions are addressed in that sermon. But the important thing that I want you to get from this sermon is I want you to stop with the churchy definitions. It's not forgive and forget. It's not removing some, it's not some personal removing of poison. It's transactional. Forgiveness is a transaction between two people to restore the relationship. That's what it is. It's transactional. Anything less than that is is not biblical. Period. Have I convinced you? Nope. Not all of you. You're like, I'm going to have to digest some of what you've said here today, Pastor Jason. Okay. Make sure when you digest it, you got that open. Would you do that, please? I mean, you can listen to Nelson Mandela if you want. He's got good stuff. Secondly, this was a fun one. You know, just like God, we know that not everyone will accept the offer of forgiveness from us. But I can definitely tell you this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, 
and someone comes to you asking for forgiveness, your answer is supposed to be yes. Of course, that also means that that other person is really repenting of their sin. They are really asking for forgiveness, and there will be visible signs that this has happened. Yeah, that's called accountability. That's also Christian. Everybody got that? Trust must be rebuilt, and that takes time. So I'm not saying that's not true. Again, forgiveness is a very complex term, but I think you've got the main point that it can't be used in the churchy way that we've used it up till now. Now, ask God, is there someone I have wronged that I need to go and seek forgiveness from? And then ask God, is there someone that has wronged me and I need to go and seek forgiveness from that person? Thank you, Lord, that you called us to go. And when you call us to go, Lord, Yes, of course, we're supposed to go into all the world and share about you and baptize in the name of the Father. And You told us to go, and we, th- we think about that verse that is so famous, and yet think about, we, we want you to speak to our hearts about these go verses and what they mean about forgiveness. Help us to be a people who forgive. Help us to be a people who seek forgiveness. And may the churchy definition of these words not be a part of this church. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.